Tonight, war, wild swings on Wall Street, and wrestling with inflation. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovec. A lot going on. The situation in Ukraine, of course, having a worldwide impact. Every headline I see talk touches on something different, whether it's oil or supply chain shortages or the impact there. Um, it's scary stuff. And there's talk of there's talk between both sides now, but also talk of nukes. I mean, it is, it's definitely scary stuff. So joining us tonight to make sense of all of this is Allworth's Chief Investment Officer, Andy Stout. He joins us every Monday. You know, Andy manages billions of dollars of investments from right here in Cincinnati. So I have a feeling he has his finger on the pulse of what's going on over there. Um, Andy, we've seen wild swings in the stock market based on these headlines. Um, but one day down, the next day back up again. Yeah, you actually just set up perfectly based on the headlines. What we're experiencing here is headline risk. That's what's driving the market. It's this short-term sentiment that pushes the Dow down 800 points on one day and to finish up that same day 200 points, right? That's what happened last Thursday, basically. Yeah. And then on Friday, it was up another 800 points. Today, started down four or five hundred and then a rally off of those lows and it's just been a roller coaster ride well a andy and I, I think that's what gets investors attention is you know what do i need to know what do i need to do and and i i mean my feeling and my experience is there are times where you just really shouldn't do anything i i mean how do you translate what's going on with these crazy moves to the average investor in their 401k how do you see it well, your 401k probably should not be looking at it on a day-to-day -day basis anyway, whether or not the markets are going up or down. It's just not a good habit to get into because what you obviously want to do is you want to focus on the long run. And on, you know, honestly, just looking at your financial plan and making sure you got the right investment mix so you're not making any sort of like knee-jerk reactions that are based on your emotions because it's, it's so easy to want to sell when volatility picks up. But oftentimes those could end up being good buying opportunities. So if you're a, the average 401k investor, you know, I would certainly say hang tight. You know, if we're looking at the main street consumer, you know, you're probably going to see this in a few different areas. You're going to see uh, more commodity price inflation. You're going to see, you know, gas prices stay elevated or possibly even go up a little higher than where they are this morning. Uh, you're going to see, you know, some probably some uh, repercussions in the grocery stores. I mean, think about Russia in general. They're the world's largest exporter of wheat, and wheat goes into so many things, right? Ukraine and Russia combined, by the way, make up 29% of global exports. Now, while we might not necessarily be getting our wheat directly from Russia or Ukraine, there is a ripple effect because wheat prices will be higher in other areas, uh, especially, you know, think about Europe, and that's going to translate into higher prices here. So it is all connected. Well, let's talk about supply chain issues, Andy, because, you know, we, we've already had such a wonky supply chain. That's a very technical term. Uh, supply chain issue um, since this pandemic, when you had, of course, so many factories and manufacturers shutting down and then reopening and not enough workers and all of that. Then you put this on top of that in, you know, you mentioned how many different commodities come from uh, Russia and Ukraine, neon gas, palladium, which are apparently used to make microchip. And of course, we've got a, had a microchip shortage we've been dealing with for, for months now. Uh, so how do you think when you put this situation on top of everything else, this plan pans out for the average consumer? Well, in terms of just the supply chain dislocations, I'll say, you know, a couple things. One, Things have been improving over the past 
few months. Specifically, uh, as an example, manufacturing backlogs have decreased. We look at shipping costs. Now, that, that might be in flux right now with the price of oil, but in general, you can look at uh, a few indicators that show what our shipping costs are to move them to, to move goods overseas, and those have come down a lot. So we've seen some improvement there. But to your point, you know, Russia is a big, big supplier of a lot of those things. You mentioned those rare earth materials, uh, rare earth metals, and they are they have the fourth largest stockpile of rare earth metals. So you know that will have an impact on the supply chain and things like microchips, and just in general. I mean, you think about the housing market. You know, it's a tight housing market. We have a yeah. record low housing inventory. Well, people are looking at building these houses there's a lot of things that go into the cost of these houses so these Aluminum. builders are yes yep they're they're putting in the higher cost nine 12 months out from now already baking it into there so there is ripple effects andy the initial uh, sanctions I, I i think were fairly weak and that that changed big time over the weekend when when and this honestly surprised me that uh we just cut off russia's central bank from the swift banking system, and that is an, an extremely important conduit for moving money internationally. Would you explain what that does to the Russian financial system and why that is such a big deal? Yes, yeah, so EU, U.S., and Canada basically agreed to kick uh, some Russian banks out of SWIFT. SWIFT is a messaging system used by more than 200 countries, allowing banks to talk with each other. So a bank in one country, what do they do is they send a swift code to a bank in another country and then the money is transferred and the transaction is done so if a country is banned from using swift what that means they won't be able to buy or sell goods outside of their own country via the normal means that basically everybody else uh, uses right so swift is not something new it's been around for about 40 years now russians will still be able to do some business outside of their borders uh, but it becomes much more difficult so before swift there was something called telex uh, which is telegraphic transfers uh, you know so they can use that system the problem with that system is it's slower it's much less secure and it's easy to make mistakes with it because you got to type in complete sentences uh, and a human has to interpret that and go from there. So, I mean, that's one way they could get around it, but it's not a great system to begin with. Uh, they could all, China has their own payment system. So, you know, that might help a little bit if they go down that route or, you know, maybe they'll start using uh, Bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies. That becomes an option as well. But kind of the takeaway is this, uh, it really cripples their economy to doing anything outside of Russia for most of their banks, not all their banks, but most of their banks. That was one of the two big sanctions was the removal of Russia from the SWIFT banking or the SWIFT messaging system. The other one of the big sanction that happened over the weekend was that the Russian central bank uh, was, a, was sanctioned. So basically they made it illegal for any financial intermediaries to do business with Russia and central bank. The reason this matters is because Russia has a huge stockpile of currency reserves uh, and security reserves of about 630 billion. And they were, had planned to use that uh, stockpile to prop up their currency, the ruble. Now that all of those transactions have essentially been made illegal uh, by the US, EU and Canada, what we saw is we saw the ruble drop, which is Russian's currency, to its lowest level ever. It fell about 30% just this morning. 
So things are definitely shaky there. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as we dig into the headlines. Uh, Andy Stout, our chief investment officer, joining us as he does every Monday with his just great insights and perspective on this. Andy, you mentioned kind of headline-driven volatility in the markets. Um, obviously, these headlines are going to continue. Do you expect this volatility to continue in the long term? And I'm also wondering what the message is that you would have for investors. Well, in the long term, no, I don't expect it to continue. Yeah. But in the short run, yeah, absolutely. Until we have some more geopolitical clarity, uh, it's going to force a lot of very wild swings, some really good up days, some really good down or really bad down days, I should say. Uh, but that's uh, how it's going to probably play out in the short run. In the long run, I mean, what we would continue to say, focus on your fundamentals, uh, focus on the risk of recession, focus on earnings i mean if you look at the the earnings wall street right now is expecting that for the calendar year of 2022 that we'll see about nine to ten percent higher earnings compared to last year so we continue to see growth in earnings uh and now so that's a really good thing and of course inflation is probably going to put some pressure on some profit margins uh but fortunately the earnings growth that we've seen uh, is expected to continue, and that's good for valuations for investors. So I always think it's a really good idea to focus on the long run, obviously, not so much the day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week market movements. Well, and I, I think those are great points. The U.S. economy is in, in such good shape that inflation has become a problem. So, yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of growth. What, what I'm having a, a, a problem getting a handle on, though, Amy, uh, Andy, is, you know, we've got um, these events going on. These are major geo geopolitical events and, and supply disruptions. And yet, apparently, the Federal Reserve is backing off of having to increase interest rates by a half a percent instead of a quarter percent. So so what I'm struggling with is, okay, this, this additional uncertainty is actually working out to our advantage to some degree, and we don't have to raise interest rates as much as we thought. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so the Fed has a history of hiking us into a recession. So anytime you see the Fed get really aggressive on rate hikes, it starts to maybe raise a little bit of warning flags when you look a few months out down the road. And that's one of the things that's a little bit concerning today from an economic front is that we do have a really good unemployment rate, strong labor market, but we have a rising inflation. So the Fed needs to fight inflation. They no longer really need to be worried about the job market. That means they're going to raise interest rates. They raise it too quickly. Then the, and the cost of borrowing becomes too cumbersome for consumers. Loans become more expensive. Credit cards become more expensive. All of a sudden, spending, which accounts for about 70% of the total U.S. economy, that starts to shrink, and that's what could push us into recession. So that's kind of the the, the effects of going from uh, a good, strong economy to the Fed pushing us into a recession because of uh, inflation concerns. Now, if we look at what's in the market right now, a few weeks ago, Steve, there was a 100% chance that the Fed would raise rates by half a percent on March 16th. After last week, looking at it this morning, that's dropped down to 10%. So it seems more wow. than likely that the Fed, you know, they'll still raise rates on March 16th, barring something out of left field, or even more out of left field, I should say. Uh, they'll still raise rates on March 16th, but now it looks like it's really going to be a quarter of a point. And even compared to about a week ago, like last Wednesday, the market was pricing in about six and a half hikes 
uh, quarter point hikes this calendar year. That's come down to about five and a half. So essentially, the, the market, as defined by Fed fund futures, which is just investors trading and you know placing um, uh, investments or bets, if you want to call it, on what the Fed will do in a, in a year or at certain meetings, they've taken one full rate hike off of the table. That's a good thing because that might mean the Fed doesn't hike us into a recession. Andy, what I hear you saying is based on the headlines, right, everything that everyone's reading, and I know that investors tend to make knee-jerk reactions sometimes based on fear, and there's a lot of scary stuff out there. You're saying purely from an economic standpoint, when it comes down to your money, your 401k, what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine is not keeping you up at night, but where you are focusing your attention is the Fed, because that's where things could get a little dicey, but we're not there yet. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to put it. So Russia doesn't have a huge impact here on the U.S., but there is certainly the effects of that. And, you know, it, it, that can have an impact on global growth. The question is whether or not that bleeds into U.S. growth. It probably will to a degree, but recession risk is still low. Uh, but it is something that obviously we're staying on top of. Here's the Simply Money point. It seems probable that headlines are going to continue to drive the market for the time being, but long-term investors focus on fundamentals, recession risk, and earnings. War in Ukraine, inflation at home. Is it time to invest in gold? We've got the pros and cons coming up next. Plus, excited for that tax refund. We'll break down some ways you should invest it. That's in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. To use as online calculators to see if you're on the right road to retirement, well, that might not be such a good idea. We're going to explain why and what you need to do instead ahead at 643. Steve, it's honestly kind of a modern day gold rush because there's a lot of scary headlines out there. And what do spooked investors almost oh. always turn to? Gold. It, it, I, I mean, it's it's amazing. Whenever there is anything to to make you scared, to make you fearful of uh, on your investments, the gold commercials are all over the place, oh, especially late up. at night. You, you go know? straight. You go straight from reading the scary headlines to turning yeah. on the TV that is saying there's never been a better time to invest <laughs> in gold. Right? I mean, it's every yeah. time. <laughs> and a year ago, the same commercial was on. Yes. That was the better time. You, you For know? a different reason. And, and, yeah. What's What's really interesting from a, a behavioral standpoint is, you know, when somebody's on there pitching, you know, soaps, uh, uh, soaps, or or you know, whatever the heck the commercial is is selling, um, you understand they're trying to sell you whatever the product is but i get i get investors all the time saying yeah i hear it's a good time to buy gold well yeah how'd you hear that well you know that commercial was on and he was telling me it's a good they're they're actors they're trying to sell you something they're paid to say that exactly exactly <laughs> and, and you know i i'm not a big gold proponent and, and that's become clear you know if you listen to the show on a regular basis but you know there there's some good data behind it i i, I mean gold is an asset based on fear right 
I, yes. I, I mean, you know, when you're worried, that's when you're going to think about buying gold. And so many people buy it with no exit strategy whatsoever. So let, let's go over some of the pros and cons. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons why people flock to gold is always during fear, during periods of high inflation, right? We're at 40 right. plus year high of, uh, of inflation rates. And gold has kind of always been seen as a safe bet to kind of guard against rising prices, the, you know, the stock market fluctuations. Um, and the asset has a history of delivering higher than inflation returns. You have always said, though, um, gold seems to have like one good year. Yeah. And then the nine bad ones, but the, the gold bugs will tell you the stats from the one good year every oh, yeah. time. A absolutely, yeah. So, so I mean, a couple months ago, it was where around eighteen hundred bucks an ounce or, or thereabouts. And okay, now you know you've got Russia going into the Ukraine, and there's fear, and uh, people are starting to, to buy gold again, and yeah. they've driven it up to nineteen hundred dollars an ounce. Wait a second, that's only five percent, and this is an asset that costs you money to buy, costs you money to sell, costs you money to store. It, it's not producing dividends. It's not doing anything for you. So until you sell it, you don't get anything out of it, and people don't think of the cost, the commission to to buy and sell it. So that's a gross number of five percent, and and that's a pretty big swing. So the people that I hear are saying, yeah, but it's probably going to break two thousand. Well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But it's only been there one time in history. It's yeah. only broken 2001 time in history. So here I'm reading an article uh, that uh, somebody at UBS that tracks gold, and you know I, I respect their research, and they're thinking it might go down to 1600. So you know why why would you buy gold at this level? What are you expecting out of it? And when do you plan on selling it? That that is so important as an asset, like any asset. When do you get rid of it? I have a friend, Rufus, who actually came to me several years ago about buying gold. And I was like, I, it's not my thing. And, and I can tell you why. And I kind of went into a rant and he didn't buy gold. And over the next six months, it went up. Right. And then it's been down every year since then. And yeah. it's so funny because he will he will quote, to me, oh, you know, I knew I should have bought it that six months. Yeah. Like, no. And, and here's if, if you're thinking about buying gold, I would just ask you to Google two things. Right. The history of gold. Find that chart and see mm -hmm. how that goes versus the history of the stock market. The S&P 500 watching how that has gone up over time. Look at those two graphs before you make any major decisions about investing in gold. Yeah, and, and let's talk about how you can buy it, because when most people say buy gold, they're, they're thinking of buying, you know, some sort of gold coin, buying the bullion. Yes. Okay. I mean, that's that's the sexy side of it, but that's it. It's the sexy side. How liquid is it? I mean, you're going to have to send it in, sell it, bring it to your local coin dealer, whatever the case is, and they're going to charge you. And, and, you know, if you're dealing with substantial investments, I, I, I was talking to a couple a while back that decided we want to put our whole IRA in it. And this was before they, they talked to us, obviously. Yeah. They paid thousands in commissions. Oh. And now they're saying, okay, we, we get that it was not a smart investment, but we're going to have to pay money to get out of it now. Yeah. And, and, you know, have someone else manage our money. So, you know, they're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. They're kind of stuck with what to do about it. So, you know, maybe not bullion, maybe an investment based on it. There are some exchange traded funds that track the price of gold. At least they're liquid, but does it still make sense?
That's that's the question. Well, and I think for so many investors, what you like about gold is the tangible aspect of it. You can't touch yeah. your stocks, you know. And so right. when things are uncertain, it's like, well, I can I can touch gold. I can feel it at the same time. That's almost the drawback of it. Right. How do you store it? And it's not easily liquid. And when you can't convert something to liquid so quickly, um, that takes away the demand for a lot of people. So just a number of things to keep in mind before you do this. We would always say there's two reasons to buy gold, to say I'm sorry and to say I love you. And and that's Good about point. it. <laughs> it's credit card debt, a tattoo topic in your house. Why that might need to change next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovec. Joining us tonight is Anna Staples. Anna is an analyst at uh, Bankrate.com, um, great uh, great source for all things financial. And uh, Anna, thanks for joining the show. Um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, credit card debt and and why that is such a subject that m- many people consider taboo. Indeed. Um, actually, people would rather talk about anything than credit card debt, really. Um, and we did a survey recently, and we found that actually 79% of people with credit card debt are comfortable talking about their uh, religious views. 77% are, ta- uh, are comfortable talking about their political views. But only 53% of people with credit wow. card debt are comfortable discussing it with their family and close friends. So not even with strangers, but, you know, with people they know well. And I think it really shows how, you know, how taboo this topic really is still to people and how, you know, there are so many sensitive topics there, you know, uh, people would rather talk about the, their credit card balances. That, that, that's shocking that people would rather talk about politics in this polarized society that, than, their, <laughs> uh, than their credit card debt. I, I can vouch for it from, you know, my standpoint. I grew up uh, uh, in a family where there just wasn't any money. And I, I still remember, and this is going back to the uh, early 70s, that my mom and dad got their first credit card and they just were shocked that they could they didn't have to go to the bank uh fill out paperwork that they could literally use a loan that was always in existence and go out and buy a pair of sneakers or a pair of shoes or something like that it was a new concept back then and it's just obviously it's part of our society now and and i think the older people are going to be a little bit less comfortable talking about debt than younger people is that, is that kind of what the numbers uh, uh, uh tell us Absolutely. Uh, the generation most comfortable, you know, discussing their credit card balances is millennials with um, 62% of millennials, you know, comfortable enough discussing it. But, you know, to compare, only 51% of Gen X and 47% of baby boomers are, uh, are comfortable talking about credit card balances. So, uh, you know, I think you're right. And it goes to show that, you know, for older people, for whatever reason, this topic is still more sensitive than many others. And it's interesting, too, because young people tend to be more cautious discussing such, you know, sensitive topics, whether it's religion or, you know, safety, uh, COVID-19 protocols, anything really. But um, when it comes to credit cards, they're kind of more open. You know, um, 59% of Gen Z, for instance, are also, if they have credit cards, that they are comfortable enough discussing it with the people close to them. So um, I think it's a good sign in a way that it shows that we're kind of battling this stigma around this topic and we're having more open conversations, but definitely it's still a sensitive topic for a lot of people. So when you say uh, Gen Z, give me an age uh, category. What what age would gener- Generation Z be? 
Sure. We're talking about our adult Gen Z here. So it's from 18 years old to 24 okay. years old. So, so, you know, still young people, but they're in the workforce already. Gotcha. So college kids and fresh out of college. Are, are you finding that, that that generation is is getting themselves into any serious credit card issues? What's What's the average credit card balance in that segment? Uh, so we don't have the exact number for, for now for Gen Z. I know that the last year uh, an average credit card balance overall was over $5,000 okay. uh, just for, you know, any generation included. But I think it just goes to show how prevalent this issue is and how common it is. Um, and I think as far as Gen Z go, they are pretty cautious about credit card debt and, you know, their financial situation overall because they have seen how the millennials struggle. They have been into some uh, economic turmoil. So, you know, they assume things. <laughs> they're, they're careful, and they're careful with their credit cards too. But we have also found that, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of younger people, uh, millennials and Gen Z, actually increased their credit card balances, and a lot of them are saying that it is due to the pandemic. So even though they're careful, um, you know, um, I would say that they are still using their credit cards, maybe not in the best situations. And it, just, it may be just due to either lack of financial education or just not having any other means to pay down for whatever they need to pay for. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, and we're talking tonight with Anna Staples, an analyst at Bankrate.com, about credit card debt, especially among the younger generation. And, Anna, you make a good point. I I think everybody spent a little bit more on credit cards during the pandemic because if you're not going anywhere, you might just stay at home and and see what's on sale at Amazon or or whatever dot-com website you happen to be on. So let's, let's take a look at this. If you got yourself into a little bit of excessive credit card debt that you can't necessarily pay off, this month and and next month is looking kind of shaky also. Uh, Give me some strategies for paying down credit card debt. I think the very first thing to do really is to look at why you got into credit card debt in the first place because, as you said, some people might have been shopping, you know, with a coping skill because things have been hard and, you know, that's such a uh, great boost of happiness. Well, and and there are different ways of paying it down. One of one of the ones that drives me a little bit crazy is okay. Let, let's uh, go ahead and transfer balances to this card. They're going to charge me zero percent for the next year. Is that a good idea in your opinion, or a bad idea? Uh, I think it's a good idea if you are ready for it because, you know, this strategy is amazing because you do save so much money on interest. But the main thing here is to not spend anything at all on your credit cards while you're doing that. So if you know that you can do it for, you know, 18 months or however long your APR, zero APR uh, period is, then that's great. You know, for, you know, if you know that you're disciplined, that is amazing. But if you're kind of, you know, worried that you might not be prepared for such commitment, just look into your budget, see where you can cut, see where you can limit yourself and, you know, to spend more on your credit card debt. Um, there are different uh, methods to pay down your debt. You may start with um, cards with your uh, with the lowest balances so you feel that motivation that you, you know, you keep going, you keep paying them off with great. Or if you still want to save on interest, you can start with the cards with the highest interest. And you might not save as much, of course, as with a 0% balance transfer card, but it's still, you know, it's still great savings that it will keep you motivated. 
Well, and I think that is such a key as as an investment advisor and a certified uh, financial planner. It's having having a game plan to get that balance paid off in a reasonable amount of time. Um, and you, if you're just going and racking up more credit card debt while you're paying down one of your other credit cards, you're not really gaining any ground. I, I think that's that's the best advice we can take out of this. You agree? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I think a balance transfer card is amazing. I think you know. Uh, people should really take advantage of these offers, but they should really be prepared to be disciplined to avoid getting themselves even into more debt. Great advice from Anna Staples, analyst at Bankrate.com. You've been listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Do you and your house have all of your money merged together? Do you have separate accounts, a combination of both? We're going to look at all of the options so you can see maybe whether you're taking the right approach or whether maybe you want to make some changes. That's straight ahead. One of the quickest ways to check and see how you're doing, and I think we all like to compare ourselves and we like easy breezy equations that say, I can retire and I'm doing just great with my money, is an online calculator. But the quickest isn't necessarily the best. Uh, Steve, these are everywhere. And I know lots of people who just kind of bring them up in conversation, like, oh, we just did an, yeah. uh, an online calculator and I think I'm doing pretty well. Well, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there and I, I'll be the first person to say, does everybody need to use an advisor? No, there's some smart people that can do this kind of stuff on their own. Yeah, um, sure. Financial planning is complex. Complicated, but you know, with with today's software that's out there, Amy, there there are some excellent excellent tools. So I went on one of the largest financial services companies' website uh, in the world uh, and looked at their retirement calculator. Now I I'm a financial planner. I do yeah. these plans day in day out. I've done it for decades. Okay. So what did, so, so what did you think? Uh, you know, I, at first I was really impressed and, and wow, okay, they're getting into some detail and they're asking this and they're asking that and a little bit of general asset allocation. And I printed out the report and I, I was doing it based on my life, you know, yeah, Ann sure. and I retiring and, and, you know, how does it look? And, and I'm like, oh, that's a pretty, pretty uh, close conclusion to what I did on my own software. Oh, wait a second. It didn't include inflation. So in other words, when I plugged in what my spending need was, in other words, what I expect to need to spend in retirement, um, 20 years down the road, it was the same number. And, and that is su such an important, mm, I mean, even without today's mess. inflation, yes. right? At, here's the way it works out. It, at two and a quarter percent inflation, which in normal times is what you should be using right now, obviously, inflation's a lot higher. But, uh, you know, when you plug in... Um, uh, $50,000 in spending need today, 10 years down the road, that's 62000 inflated at two and a quarter percent. 20 years down the road, that 50000 of spending is 78000 That's a big difference from keeping it at $50,000. So, you know, you go into retirement thinking you're in great shape and, and, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, you're buying almost half of what you were able to buy the year you retired. You yes. know, that that's that's a major, major reduction in your standard of living. I didn't like that at all. And something that I think a lot of DIYers often miss. And so you could easily, right, put put it plug in these numbers and feel like you're doing well and yeah. Really, this would then hit you from out of left field. Um, so I just Googled retirement online, online okay. retirement calculator, and I thought, okay, if someone were just to go in and look up, I'm going to just pull up one of the first ones that comes up because it would be the first one that would 
pop up for all of us. And it was cute. There was like this little squirrel. It was animated. You know, it was like, oh, this That's is important. Yes. It was like a cartoon. But really, it got, I've, and I've done, I did a retirement calculator several, several years ago, just honestly to be able to talk about it on the show to see what it yeah. involved. There was definitely a lot more depth of what investments do you have? Where, you know, you have a 401k, an IRA, a 529, how many children? It got into mortgage and how much our monthly payment is and how much we still owe and That's pretty good. any other outstanding debts, which I thought was all great. Here's what it missed. Our regular spending, our credit card bills, how much we eat, how much our Duke energy yeah. is, how you know, all of those other things, which we're a family of six, like isn't necessarily cheap. And even when we get to retirement and it's just two of us, there was no accounting for any kind of travel. Um, do I donate money? What are the charities? What are the, how much money yeah. do I want to continue? Which is really big to a lot of us. Um, so I think it missed some pretty that's major a, things. That's major. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I, again, I've done so many plans over the years. I have seen with people that are in pretty decent shape, I've seen a difference of $500 a month in spending different from what they put in versus what I put in later, just blow up a plan. I, yes. I mean, it's it's people just assume the biggest variable in a successful plan is rate of return. That That's the first assumption. Uh-uh, not, not by a long shot. It's differences in the amount of spending once you retire. That is so important and so key. And that's why we keep stressing it on, 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 the, on the program, because uh, you've got to know where the money goes or else, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You think you spend four grand a month and, and it turns out you spend five grand a month. And guess what? You're saying welcome to Walmart 10 years after retirement. Yeah. You know, so so if you're looking for some kind of like one size fits all thing, especially if you're several, several years away from retirement, um, you know, a, a calculator can't answer this. But are you saving roughly 15 percent of your income? Right. We, yeah. we would say 20 yeah. percent. But if you're not there, you've got to get as close to there as possible. We would say just inch it up a percent or two every year until you can get there. Are you investing aggressively enough for your age? I, I've run into this before. Um, and, and I know many couples who are on very different pages, if, as far mm -hmm. as, you know, how much risk that you feel you're open to. Well, if you're 40 years old or 45 years old and you're in 80% bonds, like, okay, right? That's probably yeah. not the best thing for your age. But but none of that, right, was covered when you do these retirement calculators. Yeah, and, and the retirement date is not the end date. That's not where you end your, your investment no. thought process. So, you know, hopefully you're going to live 20, 30, 40 lives, uh, years past retirement. Um, you definitely want to stay invested to some degree. You might pull the reins in a little bit, but that's not the end date, your retirement date. Yes. Even speaking of retirement, I was just thinking about this. So my aunt, Mary Jo, is retiring today. This is her last day ever working. We've gone over her oh, plan. Her. She is in awesome shape, and she is going to waltz out the door today, not because the retirement calculator told her she could, because she did some really smart financial planning. Here's a Simply Money point. An online calculator is a tool that could give you a basic overview of how you're doing. There are far too many factors to consider in a, in a retirement portfolio for just a simple calculator to even begin to compute. Sit down with someone if you think you need some extra help, we would suggest a qualified financial advisor. You know, a good marriage requires a ton of communication and money can be a big sticking point. We're going to look at different approaches when it comes to merging your money. Next, you're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Strovak. 
You know, marriage and money, they don't always go so hand in hand. And I know a lot of people have just different approaches to how you handle money. And sometimes merging that isn't so easy. You know, Steve, you've been doing this for a long time. I'm sure you have seen couples who handle <laughs> money in just about every way yeah. possible. Yeah. Um, I've so seen... I've seen the good and the bad. I, I have and the seen, ugly. <laughs> oh my goodness! And when it's ugly, it can be really ugly. I mean, I, and there's one thing in common, Amy. That the good always have good communications. I, I mean, yes. not just in with money, but you know, that's one of the big stress points in most marriages. So you know, if you're open and talking to each other uh, about money and where the different accounts are and what you're doing with them, you're in much better shape than walking in an investment advisor. Not saying this ever happened uh, in an investment <laughs> advisor's office saying, "Wait a second, you've got money where and how uh -huh. much debt do you have?" Uh, yeah, not a good time to disclose it when there's a, a, an unbiased third party in the same room. That's that's dangerous. So let's talk about what your yeah. options are and kind of the pros and cons to those. All merged all the time. I would say this is what most people do. Steve, would you mm -hmm. agree? Yeah, I, I kind of do a hybrid model uh, in, in our household where uh, Anne, um, she takes care of the bills and I, I take care of the the investments. But pretty much everything joined. And, and I think you're a little bit different. Um, and one thing I, I've always known about you, Amy, is you're, you're just you're an open book with, with your spouse about <laughs> I'm about an open money book with and, anyone who will well, talk to me about money <laughs> yeah exactly and I, that that's so key and and you know do you do yours mine and ours or everything joint so it's funny um we actually you know i had been divorced for a while and was used to handling my own money so i actually struggled with the merging a little bit in the front just because yeah. I, I knew exactly how much i had i have my own like philosophies about it ultimately jason and i did merge um and it's it's worked out great we're very much on the same page um when it comes to money so it's been really easy for us but i know there's a lot of people out there who do kind of do ours mine and yours meaning there's a a joint account that you both put money into um, mm -hmm. that pays a lot of the bills but you also have your own money to kind of spend and for a lot of people um, I know that's that's a great thing because you've got a saver in the relationship you've got a spender in the relationship you don't see eye to eye on those things at all um, what about keeping it separate do you run across a lot of people who just 100% keep it separate I, I, I do and, and yeah. there's no again there's no right or wrong the biggest problem though is financial infidelity I, I mean yes. where you withhold one of these or more of these uh, more than one of these accounts from your spouse that's that's there's no good outcome of that yes. situation so creditcards.com does this research every year the latest statistic 32 mm -hmm. percent of us one in three of us admit to committing some form of financial infidelity which means simply um, you're doing something with the money that your spouse does not know about so if this is why you want to keep it separate this is not going to end up well all three of these ways, whether you merge it all, keep it all separate, or do something in the middle, can work. The key, I think, and Steve, I'm sure you would agree, is communicating. It is. And and again, that that's what all good marriages have in common, both with finances as well as everything else, strong communications. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55 KRC, the talk station. Can't listen to Simply Money every night? Subscribe to our weekly podcast, The Best of Simply Money, on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. Visit us at allworthfinancial.com. We will always help you retire better.